1: Hello once again everybody and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, where I uh, actually did get a chance to leave and as I've been saying for many weeks, I've been trying to get to New Jersey so that I could play on some of the legal and juicy poker games over there. I am happy to report that I had some success. I played on WSOP.com. I put a few hundred dollars on there and finished with a few thousand dollars on there. So things went really well. I did particularly well in uh, a tournament with a $50,000 guaranteed first place prize. I believe it was a hundred dollar buy-in. Uh, and that was the big square. I almost made the final table in that one. Um, I also had a couple other deep runs. Uh, it was really fun. Really good action. A lot of. Loose passive action. Um, I understood what Katie Stone was talking about a few weeks ago when she came on this podcast and said that she had to buckle in and and wait for the variance because uh, some of these players, they just don't know any button other than the all-in button. So, you know, for example, if you have like an M of 60 and you open Ace-King under the gun, you usually don't want to call a shove. (laughs) Because, uh, by the time it got raised and re-raised and re-raised and re-raised till somebody was all in, like on the first hand of a big tournament, um, obviously in most circumstances, Ace King would be no good. But from what I saw on WSOP.com, Ace King's probably a clear call in these games. So you gotta be ready to re-enter if it's allowed or, uh, basically just move on to the next one because, uh... There was some very, very strange play <laughs> on that site. So, yeah, really good action. And I happened to run well enough to uh, make a few thousand dollars, which is nice. And it was just good to be playing on a regulated website, 100% legal, and you know, not worrying about whether I was being cheated or whether I'd have any trouble cashing out, things like that. So, Uh, That's what's been going on with me. A big shout out to my cousin, Michael, who lives just across the river from me in New Jersey and uh, opened his doors to a uh, (laughs) potentially infected stranger. I shouldn't laugh, but, you know, the thing is we've been on lockdown here for, I think, six weeks now, and I haven't shown any symptoms, and neither has he, so he said, come on over. And uh, it was nice, you know, got to catch up with my cousin a little bit and got to play some Legal online poker. Unfortunately, though, that site, I'm having trouble finding the uh, hand histories. I'd love to kind of go through and maybe even do my first TPE video on one of the tournaments I played because I do remember there being some very interesting decisions that were uh, exploitative in nature. But I'm unable to find those hands on my laptop. Ironically, I'm also unable to find the hands from ACR that I have been playing as well. So if anyone has information on how I can find those hands so that I can load them into a replayer and, and possibly talk about some of those hands here on the podcast, uh, that would be huge. So, uh, if you can tweet me that information, that'd be great at Clayton comic, that'd be awesome. So no guest this week. I reached out to a couple of guys uh, about coming on to the podcast, but it just seems like it's a bad week for a lot of people, so it's just going to be you and me, and I hope that's all right. We haven't done this together in a long time. I intend to talk about a hand that was emailed to me. Uh, I don't really prefer email, by the way. If you guys are on Twitter, the best way is to uh, you know, reach me that way, at Clayton Comic on Twitter. But if you have a hand that you want to email, uh, it's likely to get lost in my email. I get way too many emails. But you should use poker at claytonfletcher.com for that. Uh, But again, I prefer that you guys just use Twitter. And a really great place to post your hands is the TPE forums. We've been seeing some increased activity on the forums at tournamentpokeredge.com. Members submit hands and both other members as well as our TPE pros answer the questions that are presented and often it, it leads to some pretty lively and productive conversation, uh, which is which one of the things that I think separates and distinguishes Tournament Poker Edge from other training sites is that it's not just an immediate, uh, you're an idiot, fold pre, but there, there's much more uh, exploratory and in-depth discussion that is meant to be helpful and productive rather than just making the person responding feel better about himself by tearing down the decisions that were made by the original poster. So with all that said, I think you guys should join Tournament Poker Edge. It's really cheap. It's $25 a month with an annual subscription. And then you can get involved in the message boards with us. And you can even post a few hands of your own that you want to just bounce some ideas off the pros and the other really good players that are on that site. So please come join us, won't you? So the first hand I want to review comes from a listener named James Matthews. He is a mailman, actually. So, uh, you know, mailmen have a special place in my heart. Uh, One of my favorite uncles, a mailman for 25 years, And uh, so it kind of caught my eye when I got this email. And the first line is, hi, Clayton, I'm a mailman from New York. So, I mean, the guy's already got two good things going for him. He's a mailman and he's from New York, which, as we know, I am too. So uh, then he starts off with a nice compliment. I'm a big fan of you on the TPE podcast. Thank you so much, James. I really appreciate that. He goes on to say, Oh, after he discovered our podcast, he actually went back all the way to the beginning, guys, way back to two thousand and ten and listened to every episode. So obviously that's a great way to to get your hand red on the air. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe maybe not. But you know, certainly flattery can only help, right? So uh, he goes on to say, I grew up around poker and my father has made his living running a home game for as long as I can remember, although it's Omaha high-low. I haven't played much Hold'em in my life, maybe about 100 tournaments, but I enjoy listening to your strategy segments. Okay, so at this point, I need to tell you guys, I had to fill in a few blanks here because James, uh, even though he sent me a lovely complimentary email uh, where he told me something about himself and about where he's at in poker, some of the decisions he has uh, are a little unclear. So I hope that I filled in the blanks correctly, but we're just going to proceed with this hand uh, in, in a way that I think will be reflective of what actually happened. So like so many of us during the lockdown, James has been playing a little bit online and he played in a tournament that I've actually dipped my toe in the water of myself, which is the two... $27.50 daily, $50,000 guaranteed prize pool on ACR, Winning Poker Network. So I've found this tournament to be pretty juicy. Uh, A lot of players making a lot of mistakes. But the problem for me is that their mistakes tend to be of the loose, aggressive variety. So it's much easier to manage a game where... The mistakes are of the loose passive variety. So if you have a lot of calling stations at your table, it's really easy to manage. You just bet the heck out of your good hands and expect to get called like every time. Those are the easiest and most boring but profitable games to be in. Uh, This particular tournament, I've noticed a lot of players, they find spots to put in a big check raise on the flop As we talked about with Jason Smith, where uh, he's exploitatively floating those check raises a lot more than he used to because he's finding that most of his opponents are giving up on the turn. So they'll check raise the flop, but then shut down if you call that. So uh, it's a little bit more wild action, um, generally speaking, in this tournament. So uh, with that as the landscape and not really knowing uh, Hero or his opponents, let's get into the... Action We have 350,000 in our stack, and the blinds are 8,000, 16,000 with 800 anti, so that means there is 31,200 in the pot. So our M is about 11, and we have 21 big blinds. So, under the gun plus two, so two folds, and then okay, under the gun plus two. Raises to 32,000, which is a minimum raise, which I have found on ACR is typically what you'll find. Most players just click the raise button, they don't type in, you know, a particular raise size or try to do 2.2x, they just min raise it, which is fine. Um, this player has 600,000 in his stack, so he's got us well covered. Uh, it folds all the way to us in the small blind. And we have Queen of Clubs, 9 of Clubs. Okay, so you guys can talk about what to do with this hand in this spot. Uh, oh yeah, I should mention the big blind has 160,000. So he's got about half of our stack. So we have an open from early position from a player that has us well covered. And then folding to us with an M of 11, we, are, we have the Queen 9 of Clubs. And the player to our left is uh, the short stack with an M of five and 160,000 in his stack. So let's talk about how to play this hand pre-flop. I feel like you can make a case for just about anything here. Um, My least favorite choice is calling, but it's justifiable. I mean, we have a hand that, you know, doesn't flop great, but it, it does have some nut potential. We have a stack that's short enough to basically check raise or check shove or check call planning to never fold in the event that we flop, a, a, you know, like a top pair of queens or something like that. Um, and we definitely have some draws that can come down like, you know, gut shots with a backdoor. Uh, so it's not a hopeless hand. That said, I prefer folding. Uh, actually, I prefer folding first. So my my I say you can do anything here and my top choice is to fold. Uh I feel like our stack is just short enough that we don't want to be getting into trouble with a mediocre hand like queen 9 suited. Um as I mentioned it's justifiable to call but my second favorite choice here is to go for the 3 bet. Now the downside of that and we don't have any information on the playing style of the big blind but Assuming he's kind of a standard, typical player in this $25 tournament field, he's unlikely to get involved without a monster if we three bet. So, uh, you know, so let's put some numbers on it. So, this guy opens to 32000 and then say we make it $80,000. Uh, we're still leaving ourselves room to fold should the uh, four bet come in from from the original Razor, although we will probably need to call, obviously, if the big blind goes ahead and shoves, because we will be committed against him. But, you know, Queen-9, as I mentioned, isn't a hopeless hand, hot and cold. And some of those shoves, we won't... I mean, we're never going to like calling here, but we will have to call if you 3-bet and the big blind shoves, because you'll be priced in against hands like Pocket Jacks and Ace-King, which make up such a huge portion of his range, and also that we do not block. So if we 3-bet, we have to know that we're about to lose probably half of our stack with Queen-9 against the big blind. But like I say, I don't think that he has too many hands that he's going to be shoving here, and we do have to call against all of them. But I still like 3-betting more than calling because there's a reasonable chance that our opponent has very little. Now, I say that, guys, because I've noticed on ACR that players open the same range from early position typically as they open from middle position. So you might as well break down ranges on ACR between early and late. So people will open the low jack with the same range that they'll open the button and people will open under the gun plus one with the same range as they'll open under the gun plus three or even under the gun. So because of that, He's going to be lighter, assuming... Now, again, we don't have information on our opponents, so assuming that he's a typical player in this tournament, he's going to have hands like Queen-10, Jack-10, maybe even Jack-9, like down in that area, that aren't going to like getting 3-bet. And because of our stack size with these 21 big blinds in our stack, uh, we put him in a rough spot. So in a sense, we're leveraging half of his stack even though we're not calling against his shove. So he needs to decide what to do right now because calling, when we make it, let's say, what, six blinds, seven blinds, we're putting in a little less than one-third of our stack. So calling in his shoes is going to be dicey at best. And he will get outplayed a lot because... At this point, with these kind of stacks, you are less concerned about being out of position as the three-better. Uh, I would be, if I did take this line here against this player, if he ever decides to flat call, which again, I don't think he should, but if he does, then we can pretty much load up our continuation betting range. I, mean, I think we should bet on the flop with any queen, any nine, any hand that has like a gut shot or even two back doors, like if there's a 10 and also a club on the flop. So I'm talking about a continuation betting range here around 80%, 75 80%, which may seem crazy, but we are representing a very big hand here. And this guy does not want to lose half of his stack. I mean, I'm also making an assumption based on having played in this tournament that our stack is right around average. And so if this guy loses this pot... He's going to go from being probably top 10% in chips to now suddenly dipping down to you know below average. So who wants to put himself in that position without a premium hand? So I don't expect him to call a lot when we three bet, and I do expect him to overfold. So if he does call, then we have to continue applying pressure with a lot of hands. The flops that I wouldn't be betting are something like ace, King seven with no club. So we don't have a backdoor. We don't have a flush draw. We don't have anything. So if we totally miss, then that's when we can check fold, which is going to suck because we're going to have put in a lot of chips and then have to give up. But you do need to have some give ups. If you choose to include the queen, nine of clubs in your three betting range. Now you can change my mind about this. If you tell me something about this opponent, Like if he's not a typical player, like if he's a tight player who pays attention to position and has a relatively tight opening range with just a few bluffy type hands mixed in, then I would say this is a clearer fold, right? And if he's wild and loose, then I like my play even more. So as played, our correspondent takes my least favorite option and calls. But again, I did say it's justifiable. And now he's just really hoping that the big blind doesn't do anything and the big blind just calls. So we're pretty happy with that outcome, even though we kind of stepped out on a limb there and just flatted. Uh, So now we are going to be out of position against two opponents, holding a a queen nine of clubs. And there is 100,000 in the pot, and we have about 320,000 behind. So... This means our SPR is just over 3. Now, with this kind of SPR, when we make or call a large bet on the flop, we are essentially committing to the pot when we have a pair. So what I like to do in these spots is make sure I get fully committed to the pot when it comes queen high or with a flush draw. You know, These are the spots where you want to just take control of the hand. You don't want to let yourself get outplayed because you only start this hand with an M of 11. So making mistakes with a relatively short stack is much worse. Hopefully you can see why, but what I mean is that if you're if you're folding the best hand or a hand that is getting the right odds to call when you're in a desperate situation to begin with, or you're not truly desperate with an M of 11, 21 big blinds is a playable stack, but you know, you guys know what I mean. Like making a mistake now when we might have a chance to double up or at least getting the right price to do so would be awful. So if we flop anything, we should be looking to get committed to this pot. So with that said, uh, we, we see the flop of King of Clubs, Jack of Clubs, Deuce of Hearts. Okay, so this is great news. Um, we have flopped a flush draw and a gut shot. Um, we actually, actually, you look at it. We have a straight flush draw. The ten of clubs will actually give us a straight flush here. So, this is a flop where I would definitely be looking to commit and get busy. So we check. The big blind also checks. The original razor bets only twenty seven thousand into this hundred thousand pot. Now this is the kind of down betting we've been seeing a lot, um, and we've been discussing why you want to make these kind of bets. So if he has a king. A bet like this should get action from either the big blind or me, the hero, when we have something like jack nine or maybe a gut shot without a flush draw or possibly even a a pair. You know, it's it's not terrible to just call this small bet getting five to one if you just have something like pocket nines. So. I mean, I don't think most of us would play pocket nines this way pre-flop, but just for the sake of argument, if you had, it's kind of hard to fold it now for such a small bet. So when it comes back to me here, I'm going to put in a really big raise. Like I say, I like to play decisively. I want to discourage action, but also make my life easy if I get action. I'm trying to get it all in on the flop. The flop is a better street for drawing hands than the turn is. Always remember that. So if we just call here and then we brick off on the turn, now we're in a really awkward spot because we can check and have to even fold if he bets the pot on the, on the turn because with only one card to come, even with this many outs, it's not exactly the right price. Um, and especially because our flush draw isn't to the nuts, we will occasionally run into a better flush draw uh I guess specifically it could be something like ace eight of clubs, ace 10 of clubs, you know, those kind of hands. And so we need a little bit more than just the correct price to count all of our outs as being 100% clean, if that makes sense. Also, our gut shot is not to the nuts. So if we make a straight with a 10, we are still losing to ace queen. I would prefer a raise to something like 125,000 here. Leaving myself with like just under 200,000 behind, really committing to this pot, trying to get it all in right here on the flop or just take it down. Um, we have really good equity even against hands like pocket aces, even a set. We're not doing that badly against a set. Obviously, it's not what we want to see. Um, but with all that said, we want to try to make our move right now. So a big raise here, uh, maybe 120, 130, something like that would be great. Uh, instead, hero raises, but he only makes it ninety thousand, which that's a pretty small bet, and it's it's just a little bit of an awkward sizing, because when it just gets flat called, uh, now we have an awkward spot again when the turn breaks off, and now we have an awkward stack, and you know we just don't like being in that kind of no man's land. So if you're going to commit, put in more than a third of your stack. Make sure that. Everyone at the table can tell that you're committing. And by the way, guys, you can also do this with your bluffs because you're never actually pot committed when you're bluffing. So keep that in mind as well. So, yeah, I would like make it 125 here, maybe even 130, just to make sure everybody knows I'm serious and see how serious they are. So instead we make it 90 and then the big blind shoves for 124,000. So obviously that's a pretty easy call for us, assuming the original Razor calls But instead, the original Razor makes it 260000 All right, this is actually the action we wanted. Okay, look, I know we have a draw. And I know that many players like to have a made hand when they get all in. But guys, you have a straight flush draw. This is all the outs. (laughs) You know, assuming nobody has ace-queen or ace-10, ace-8 of clubs, uh, those few hands that we're worried about. Otherwise, we basically have... This is a gin flop, and we should be very happy to get the whole stack in right here. So uh, instead, the hero calls, leaving himself with only about 60,000 behind. So now we have this monster pot with like 700,000 in it, and we've only got 60,000 behind. So I think the rest of the hand could pretty much play itself. Okay, (laughs) so on the turn is a deuce of spades, and they both check which I really don't understand and on the rivers of five of hearts and they both check again so I guess somehow we managed to save 60,000 which uh, I never would have done I would have gotten it all in right there on the flop because why not but I guess there is a case to be made for just uh you know going this route and that way when you miss you don't have to put it in if nobody else wants to put it in and then the uh, results of the hand the big blind who remember just flat called pre-flop had pocket jacks. If you recall, pre-flop, it went raise, and then the small blind called. I think with an M of five, you just want to shove with your jacks. I don't think you want to see a flop three ways, but this is how this gentleman, assuming he's a gentleman, chose to play it. And the original razor, really proving my point, had the eight six of clubs. So we win this you know, good-sized side pot, and we end up basically breaking even on the hand Because queen high is better than eight high. So a very strange hand indeed. But look at this open. Early position open. Eight of clubs, six of clubs. Really proves my point. To me, that means we want to be three betting a lot more with these type of hands from the small blind rather than calling. I mean, folding is also fine, guys. You don't have to get involved in every possible pot. Especially those of you who are out here playing 12, 15, 25 tables. You don't need to like pick every single spot. But this is a pretty typical hand for a player in third position. Again, he's under the gun plus two to open with the eight six of clubs. So to me, it's a pretty obvious leak in his game and one that I would exploit by three betting more frequently. So James, thanks again for sending the uh, hand in and thank you for your service in the United States Postal Service. Risking your life to deliver the mail these days. Hope you're staying safe. And thank you very much for sending your hand. Anybody else that wants me to talk about one of your hands, feel free to send it over using Twitter at Clayton Comic. I'd love to hear from you. Let's do one more real quick. Just want to give you guys a little insight into the type of discussion that's going on on the TPE forums. Okay, this is from our MTT Poker Strategy forum. It's a few months old. This hand is uh, written by a member called 3for3. 3 3. Uh, he is a pretty frequent poster. And this is actually from a live tournament, so it's going to be a little nostalgic. I'm not sure where, but he played a $400 World Series of Poker circuit event. Now, the first thing I can tell you about these, I've played in a few of them. Um, you are really overpaying in rake. The rake in these tournaments is so high. I'll bet only 300 or maybe $320 went to the prize pool out of the 400 that 3-for-3 three three shelled out to play in this tournament. Um, I've seen rake get out of control, and the World Series of Poker is one of the worst culprits of rake abuse, and particularly with these circuit events. I mean, it's basically how they pay for whatever that free roll is they do for the circuit grinders at the end of every year. It's because they've been uh, raking everyone so heavily all year long, they can easily afford to have a million dollar free roll if they want to. Anyway, off my soapbox and to the hand. The first hand after dinner, I assume he means on day one, the big blind is not back yet. Okay, it's folded to us in the low jack with the king eight of diamonds. Okay, so action on hero. I know the temptation of trying to go ahead and grab that big blind, especially because there's a big blind and a big blind ante. Um, We don't really have information about our opponents, but I've gotten away with this sort of thing before. So normally I think that this is a pretty easy fold. King eight suited is basically a junk hand, and the low jack isn't particularly late position, uh, in these circuit events, they're usually nine-handed. So even with the missing big blind, I think I would fold. But the fact that he's still at dinner does make it a little tempting to try to get after it here. And I suppose depending on who's on my left, I might try to make this play occasionally and see if nobody else wants to get after it with that, uh, with that dead money in the middle. Uh, of course, our stacks are important too. So let's talk about that. Um, We have a relatively big stack at our table based on the information I'm reading here. Uh, The blinds are 1,000 and 2,000 with a 2,000 big blind ante. So there's already 5,000 in the pot and we have more than 100,000 because we're about to get action from a player who has the effective stack of 100,000. So right away, we're still relatively deep here, um, at least based on who's going to call. But we don't know that at the time. There's presumably some short stacks here. But something that uh, my friend Nate Mavis, who if you're not familiar with Nate, he is the co-host of the Thinking Poker podcast. And we've had the other uh, co-host from that wonderful podcast, Andrew Brokus, who's also a TPE pro here on the, on the podcast many, many times, and we will have him on again soon. But something that Nate said years ago that's always stuck with me and I think has made me a lot of money, typically, right after dinner, people don't show up right after their dinner break with a folding mentality. You see a lot of spazzing out and a lot of people just, you know, they're excited to play, they're, they're well-fed, they're charged up, and they're not rushing back to the table looking to fold a marginal hand. They're looking to play that hand. So that's kind of a case for folding here and not trying to get involved with the King eight of Diamonds. Um, that said, it's clearly justifiable because uh, maybe it'll get through and then you get an extra 5,000 in your stack. So I don't know how many chips we have because it doesn't say here, but we have more than 100,000. So we're in M of 20 plus And so we're, we're not really in, in bad shape in this tournament. It seems like things are going pretty well for us. So we get action to our immediate left. So that's going to be the hijack, a good, young European player. He flats. Oh, sorry. No, he flats from the cutoff, not the hijack. Excuse me. So one fold, and then this European player calls, and he has the effective stack in the hand. Nobody else calls. So we're going to play a heads-up pot from out of position against a good European player, and we have the king, eight of diamonds. Not exactly a great situation, but not hopeless either. The flop comes. Well, let's do the math. There is now uh, 14,000 in the pot, and the effective stack is about 95,000. The flop comes eight of hearts, seven of diamonds, tray of clubs. So eight, seven, tray with one diamond, and we have the king, eight of diamonds. So top pair, king, kicker, and a backdoor flush draw for the hero. Uh, what should we do? Action's on us. I like leading here uh, with 14,000 in the pot. I think uh, this is a board that a lot of gut shots will call you. Hands like Jack ten will call you. Um, ace seven, ace eight, ace three will probably even call you. And I think that we have the type of hand that doesn't mind not getting called either. So even though we have top pair and a decent kicker, there aren't too many turn cards that are going to make us happy. I guess if we get, if we bet and get called, then we're hoping for a diamond on the turn so we can feel a little more comfortable about our hand. Obviously, a king or an eight would be great on the turn too, but don't get too dreamy with it. So we have, uh, I think we have a pretty clear bet here. I mean, you can mix in some check raises if you want, some check calls if you want. But against this player, I think just betting and you know not giving him the uh, lead in the hand is probably wise because if we check and he bets, we're really not going to know what that bet means. Are we beat? Now we're going to be playing the out of position, guessing a game, guessing game versus a good opponent, which is something I try to avoid at all costs. So my preference is to go ahead and bet, and I bet pretty heavy here, maybe like half the pot, seven, 8,000 even, you know, is totally fine because, again, we don't really mind taking it down. We also don't mind getting called because we have top pair with a decent kicker. But against this opponent, I'm not trying to play a big pot. So we check... And our opponent bets 4000 into the 14000 pot. All right, that's a tiny bet. It doesn't really mean anything. It could be a stab. It could be a draw. It could be nothing. It could be a set. I don't really know. Um, these tiny bets, and the reason why so many players, and myself included, are doing this, what we call down betting so much more, is because it is just that. It's hard to read. You don't really know what it is because it's what we call a non-polarized or uh, condensed, if you will, range. That's a term I only ever heard from Andrew Brokus, but I love it. The condensed range is the opposite of a polarized range. So when I bet, I'm hoping to get action from a huge array of hands, or I can make the same bet as a bluff, and in doing so, giving myself an incredible price. I mean, even if your opponent folds the best hand 10 or 20% of the time with this tiny bet, that's a huge win because you're offering him about five to one on a call. So that's why people do it. But I don't really like giving up the lead in this hand because now I'm going to be out of position with really no clue where I'm at. And when we do that against a good European pro, we need to be willing to go broke with top pair. So he bets 4,000 and we just call, which is fine. I don't really see a good case for check raising this flop because I don't think he can really get called by worse. Although it does protect our hand against if he has something like, I don't know, King Jack that has, I shouldn't say King Jack, how about Queen Jack that has good equity against us? Or any ace high type of hand that has, you know, we have some protection value in check raising the flop. But that's a pretty uh, small reason to do that. So I like calling if we did choose to check, which again, I would rather lead. The turn is the Deuce of Diamonds, which is a good card for us in that it gives us a flush draw. And now, with 22,000 in the pot and Hero with, well, actually Villain with 95,000 in his stack, we decide to check again, which I approve. I'm looking to check raise here. We can put, ourself, we can put our opponent into a terrible spot when he has a hand like 9s or 10s that chose to just flat preflop. Um, we're going to blow him off of all of his draws. With this play, uh, we can take it down a lot when we when we don't have the best hand. I mean, we'll get folds from ace-eight, pocket-nines, pocket-tens, jack-ten, probably even 10-9. If we bet big enough, we can get him to fold the open-ender or at least price him out of, of playing it profitably, which a hand like 10-9 has a lot of outs against us. It's open-ended. And it has two live overcards. although when we check-raise the turn, there's no way he can put himself on having two live over cards. although we know that he, he would. Uh, so I'm looking to make an aggressive action here on the turn. And I don't think enough players find good spots to check-raise on the turn. I think that most of us are way too passive on 4th Street. A lot of times the check-raises that you'll see are on the flop or on the turn with... Value, but we're not seeing enough check, raise, bluffing on the turn. And that's even more true on the river. Hardly anyone check, raise, bluffs the river. And that's, you know, there's a good reason for that because a lot of players check, check all their value hand, all their medium strength value hands. So when you check and get bet into on the river, it's usually with either a pure bluff or a monster. So that means check, raising the river. You're only getting the bluffs to fold. Anyway, I digress. Here on the turn, if we check, I'd be looking to raise it. So we check, and the villain bets eleven five into 22,000. So right about half the pot. Um, This is the action I wanted. Here, I'm going to make it like 35,000 and expect him to fold a lot. We have him covered. This puts a lot of pressure on all of his non-premium hands. Um, If he doesn't have a set, if he doesn't have pocket aces that slow played uh, pre-flop, even with aces, you might even get him to fold sometimes because the check raise on 4th Street is so effective. And we're also going to get hands that we're beating that have equity, decent equity against us to fold a lot. Instead, the hero calls, and I'll be honest, guys, I don't hate it, just calling here, but to me, it's a good spot. We have top pair with a decent kicker and a flush draw. We have a lot going on here. We're probably ahead, but even if we're not, we have plenty of outs available to us uh, should the hand continue after the check raise. And if we don't check raise it, then there's a decent chance we'll get outplayed and have to fold the best hand on the river. So that's why I don't really like a a passive play here on the flop and turn against a decent opponent who could probably figure out that we're pretty well capped at this point. So Hero elects to call, as I said, and now with about 45,000 in the pot, we see a river, the ace of spades. Okay, you can make a case for leading. I know it seems odd, but check, call, check, call, lead. You could make. You could have easily made two pair with this river, and your opponent is unlikely to have an ace in his hand. Uh, most hands that include an ace wouldn't fire another shell on the turn. Maybe if they picked up a gut shot, something like ace five. I guess, like especially a suited ace five, might have you know bet again here on the turn. But there aren't that many aces in the villain's range. His hand feels to me a lot like 10-9, jack-10, maybe something like pocket nines, pocket tens, as I mentioned. So if you told me you want to bet it, I would be all for it. But, you know, as played, we may as well check again and try to catch a bluff here. Uh, Although I don't really love it. You know, our opponent is showing a lot of strength if he bets one more time. And this is the kind of problem I was trying to avoid. When I'm out of position... I like to try to find those check raises once in a while just to kind of seize control of the hand and not have to make a tough decision. So we check, and Villain bets just under half the pot, 21,000. Uh, it's pretty brutal. You know, we're not getting a great price, but our hand needs to be good about, well, we're getting three to one, so about 25% of the time. Will a pair of eights be good that often? I don't know. I don't know, guys. I guess it's really, really close. I guess I'm kind of indifferent to uh calling or folding here so when i'm indifferent i usually call <laughs> because uh you know i'm a fish and i i get kind of stationy when i play hands this way you know you're inviting action you're you're giving you're opening the door for your opponent to uh take a shot at the pot so when you have something you may as well call let me be clear i don't hate the way hero played this hand but i think that he played it in in a in a way that gave himself tough decisions. Now, just because you're giving yourself tough decisions doesn't mean that you're playing badly. The best players make tough decisions all the time and they make them well. So, I don't believe in trying to avoid tough decisions at all at all costs, but I think because we, we have a good, young European op- opponent who's capable of putting in a second barrel here on the turn, I prefer check-raising because a lot of his hands have decent equity against what is probably the best hand, are pair of eights. Okay, so before I reveal uh, the outcome of this hand, well, uh, first let's make a decision on what we're supposed to do here. I mean, I'm just going to pay it off. I don't see how he has too many aces in his range. Um, I really wish that I would have taken an aggressive action rather than a passive one at some point. But I don't think that Hero played the hand poorly, but I think that if you play it this way, you kind of need to call Although it's probably like EV wise, it's probably about even. Before I get into the outcome of this post, I want you guys to know there are 15 responses to just this one hand on the TPE forums. And some of those responses come from players with 2,000 plus posts, including the aforementioned Andrew Brokus. So if you've ever wanted to run a hand past a TPE pro like Andrew Brokus... All you have to do is become a member and then post your hand on the forum. To me, that right there is enough for me to pay $25 a month. <laughs> so uh, if it's not for you, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, so the results of the hand, as it turns out, our aggressive, young, European, good opponent had ace-jack offsuit with no pair and no draw, just two live over cards on the flop. And I think because we kept checking, he just kept betting and then he got there. And I hate to go back and say, well, if I would have done what I normally do, I would have won this pot. And that may be true, but that's not really the way you want to evaluate your decisions. But the problem is I couldn't put him on an ace, so I would have had to pay that off. And that turns us into a loser in a pot that we could have won. But again, that's not everything, because you could have won a much smaller pot than what this one ended up being. I think, go ahead and check raise the turn. You have plenty of outs if you're not ahead already. And when you are ahead, you're vulnerable. Kind of a general note. Typically, no limit hold'em rewards aggression. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. You can read Andrew Brokos' comments and all the other Really well-thought-out responses to this hand and many, many more on my favorite poker training website, Tournament Poker Edge. So for everyone here at TPE, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening. I want
0: to hold them like they do in Texas play. Hold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me love Lock and in, intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart A face. I wanna roll with her, hot We will be. Our little gambling is fun when you're with me. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's if it's not rough. It is isn't fun? Fun? Oh, whoa.